I'm John, and this is D-O-L-W-2, episode 32, The Rite of Sodomy. And I'll be reading from The Rite of Sodomy, Homosexuality in the Roman Catholic Church, by Randy Ingle, volume 4, pages 1052 to 1060. And after that, a reading from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. The 1992 statement rejects outright the idea that sexual orientation is akin to race, ethnic background, etc., in respect to non-discrimination, and affirms that it is not unjust discrimination to consider the issue of sexual orientation in dealing with public policies related to adoption, foster care, the teaching of or coaching of children, or military recruitment. Further, in terms of defending and promoting family life and ensuring the common good, the revised 1992 document states that church authorities can neither endorse nor remain neutral toward adverse legislation, even if it grants exceptions to church organizations and institutions. The church has the responsibility to promote family life and the public morality of the entire civil society on the basis of fundamental moral laws, not simply to protect herself from the application of harmful laws, the document concludes. Obviously, the 1992 statement strikes at the very heart of the basic tenets of the homosexual collective, so it is not surprising that New Ways was was instrumental in organizing Catholic opposition to the position paper, especially among Catholic clergy and religious. In Voices of Hope, Gramic and Nugent confined to their readers, confide to their readers how this was done. They note that initially the Apostolic Nunciature sent the original draft of the June 1992 statement of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith to officials at the National Conference of Catholic Bishops. It was then distributed without comment or publicity to all the American bishops on June 25 by the NCCB's General Secretary, Monsignor Robert Lynch. With perhaps the exception of the Italian bishops, the low-level unsigned document was directed principally at the American hierarchy. The author of some considerations was most likely an American familiar with the homosexual movement and its gay rights agenda, claim Gramic and Nugent. Gramic and Nugent state that the original text of the 1992 document was kept secret from the larger Catholic community. However, New Ways obtained a copy of the document from either a cooperative bishop or a friendly contact inside the NCCB slash USCC, and it was released to the Catholic and secular press along with New Ways' own critical analysis of the Vatican Statement on Homosexuality and the Politics of Discrimination. The fact that New Ways could brag it had access to a copy of the quasi-secret document indicates how well connected it is to the NCCB slash USCC. Traditional Catholics, on the other hand, had no such access to the document. The Vatican's reaction to the expose was to reissue a second version of the document with some minor changes on July 24, 1992. Opus Dei Vatican Press Secretary Dr. Hawken, Dr. Jochen Navarro-Valls 
issued an accompanying press release that minimized the impact of the document by stating that it was not intended to pass judgment on previous bishops or state conference actions in the arena of homosexual gay civil rights legislation, and that it was not intended to be an official and public instruction, but a background resource offering discreet assistance to those who may be confronted with the task of evaluating draft legislation regarding non-discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation. Gramic and Nugent said that the reception of the Vatican document was generally pro forma by the American hierarchy. However, bishops Thomas Gumbleton of Detroit, Walter Sullivan of Richmond, and Charles Buswell of Pueblo did sign a New Ways protest ad containing 1,621 signatures that appeared in the November 13, 1992 issue of the National Catholic Reporter. The ad was timed to coincide with the NCCB's annual meeting in Washington, D.C. A copy of the ad was presented to former NCCB President Bishop James Malone. Cardinal Joseph Bernardin and Archbishops Thomas Murphy and John Quinn subsequently announced that their archdiocesan policies of defending human and civil rights for homosexuals would remain the same. Voices of Hope features a multitude of statements in opposition to the 1992 Vatican Statement by an assortment of Catholic bishops, Catholic newspapers, members of religious orders, and, of course, New Ways. New Ways publications subvert Catholic doctrine. So here we have it. Can there be any doubt in the reader's mind that New Ways uses its publications to undermine and subvert the Church's teachings on homosexuality? Even where the official position of the Church is stated, however deficiently, it is clear that the position is not upheld by New Ways and its founders, Sister Janine Gramick and Father Robert Nugent. One has to wonder why it took the Meta Commission five years to discover this obvious and simple fact. Gramic and Nugent Roadshow continues. In March 1990, Gramic and Nugent were back in Oakland, California, with another homophobia workshop sponsored by the Center for Homophobia Education. The workshop was attended by about 40 people, including priests, religious brothers, nuns, and laity. All information packets handed out to attendees, contained copies of New Ways newsletter bondings. Pro-life writer Edward C. Freiling covered the seminar and filed his report with the Wanderer on March 22, 1990. Freiling said that the object lesson of the workshop was simple to discern. Homosexuality is normal and homophobia is sick. Rather than calling it a homophobia workshop, Freiling said, a more accurate description would have been desensitizing to an indoctrination for homosexuality. His observation on the personal demeanor of Gramic and Nugent was that the latter was the less ingratiating member of the team. On the upside, Freiling concluded, the principal value of the workshop was that it alerted the attendee to the great danger the homosexual movement poses for both personal potential recruits and traditional values. It provided hard evidence for Randy Ingalls' observation in the February 8, 
issue of The Wanderer, the growing number of homosexual and pedophile priests and brothers and lesbian nuns have formed a fifth column within the church in the United States. One of Nugent and Gramic's most controversial gatherings took place the following spring on April 9, 1991, at the Dominican Convent at Spark Hill, New York, in the Archdiocese of New York. The one-day workshop on homophobia was sponsored by New Ways and an ad hoc group called the Catholic Coalition of Religious and Priests Ministering to and with Lesbian and Gay Persons. Among the clerical and religious homosexual activists featured at workshop was Capuchin Father Richard Cardarelli, who told his audience that his pro-homosexual activities had led to the removal of his priestly faculties in the Archdiocese of New York. He said he was also banned from visiting his alma mater, a Catholic boys' high school in Middleton, Connecticut, after a front-page article in the Hartford Courant detailed his life as a homosexual religious. In 2001, Father Cardarelli left the Capuchin Order and the Roman Catholic Church altogether. He became a bishop of the American Apostolic Catholic Church, an ecumenical community based in Yarmouth, Massachusetts. He eventually left the American Apostolic Church. At last sighting, he was seeking to be incarnated into the Episcopal Diocese of Connecticut. The female side of the ledger appeared to fare better than their male counterparts. Sister Judith Whitaker, a self-outed lesbian who also spoke at the Spark Hill Conference, said she was a nun in good standing with the Sisters of St. Joseph. She told a local reporter covering the conference that when I hear people say, I don't care if you're a lesbian, it's nobody's business, I feel a call to be visible. She told a local reporter covering the event, but I don't want to be invisible. It's everybody's business. Sister Janine Gramick, who also spoke at the Spark Hill gathering, joined Sister Whitaker in addressing the pain and suffering she has met at the hands of the institutionalized church. In mid-October 1991, Gramick and Nugent brought their Homophobia in Religion Society Roadshow to four Catholic dioceses in the southwest region of Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh, Greensburg, Altoona, Johnstown, and Youngstown, Ohio. The nun and priest came armed with letters of recommendation to the ordinaries of the diocese from the following bishops who wanted their names kept secret. Bishop Kenneth J. Pavish, Diocese of Lansing, Michigan. Bishop John McRae, Diocese of Owensboro, Kentucky. Auxiliary Bishop Thomas Costello, Diocese of Syracuse, New York, Bishop Francis A. Quinn, Diocese of Sacramento, California, Bishop Eugene J. Gerber, head of the Wichita Diocese, provided a letter of recommendation to Gramic and Nugent in 1990, but it was later withdrawn from circulation. Opposition to the Gramic and Nugent Homophobia Roadshow was organized by the U.S. Coalition for Life, USCL of Export, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, headed by this writer. The USCL offensive included a letter-writing campaign to church officials in the four targeted dioceses and to the Holy See, as well as the superiors of the religious orders who were hosting, hosting Gramic and Nugent. It was backed up 
by a saturated media blitz in the secular press and a pre-conference interview that made the front page of the Pittsburgh Press on October 5, 1991, the unhappy Nugent charged Randy Ingle, the director of the USCL, with having a classic case of homophobia. He told the PP reporter that we try to uphold the positive things for the church. We try to uphold the positive things the church says about gay and lesbian people. The views of revisionist theologians will be presented along with official church teachings. The first of the four diocesan workshops was scheduled to take place in the Pittsburgh Diocese on October 12, 1991 at St. Mary's Convent on the Carlo College campus operated by the Sisters of Mercy. In a letter to the USCL, Sister Sheila Carney, RSM president of Carlo College, defended the Sisters of Mercy's sponsorship of Nugent and Gramic by citing the Vatican's 1986 letter to the bishops of the Catholic Church on the pastoral care of homosexual persons that condemned making homosexual persons the objects of violent malice in speech or in action. Sister Carney stated that the workshop on homophobia attempts to address this kind of attitudinal violence by helping persons recognize the negative consequences of our fears of persons who are in any way different from ourselves. Our hosting of this program constitutes neither a violation of Vatican directives on homosexuality nor a homosexualist scandal at St. Mary's Convent in Pittsburgh. As your memo suggests, she said, it is rather reflective of of our community's commitment to promote the dignity of all persons. In a statement to the Pittsburgh Press, Sister Sally Witt, Director of Communication for the Pittsburgh-based Sisters of Mercy, confirmed that every member of the community was informed about the workshop, and no one questioned it. Randy Engel is the only one who has objected to it, she said. Father Ronald Lingwin, spokesman for the Pittsburgh Diocese, told a Wanderer reporter that Bishop Donald Worrell was not convinced the workshop would violate church doctrine. We have been assured, said Lingwin, that the presentation would not be contrary to the teachings of the church. We live within that level of trust. Lingwin added that Bishop Worrell could not cancel the program because it was being held on property owned by the Sisters of Mercy and it was not church property. This is, of course, sheer nonsense. All religious orders remain in a diocese at the good pleasure of the ordinary of the diocese, and it was, was, and it was within Worrell's power, had he chosen to exercise it, to tell the Sisters of Mercy to cancel the event or, at the very least, relocate it off campus. The Sisters of Mercy Mother House in Brooklyn reacted against the U.S. CL criticism of Gramic and Nugent with a letter to Randy Ingle affirming the event. How gracious of the Sisters of Mercy to extend hospitality to this group. The leadership team of the Brooklyn Regional Community of Sisters of Mercy of the American of the Americas affirms their action and wishes them well. Although the Gramic and Nugent workshop went on as scheduled in Pittsburgh, the, appen- the attendance was very small, due in part to the controversy created by the USCL. The next stop for Gramic and Nugent was the Diocese of Greensburg, where they were scheduled to present an identical workshop 
on October 14 at the Doran Hall Retreat Center on the Seton Hill College campus operated by the Sisters of Charity. Sister Marianne Winters, Major Superior for the Sisters of Charity, defended the presentation. She wrote the USCL that, I hear you're concerned about the workshop, but also know that it is valuable to have opportunities for dialogue and for learning about the experiences of people who are marginated, sick by our society. Be assured that the dignity of persons will be basic to this workshop. Bishop Anthony Bosco of the Greensburg Diocese told Enkel that he had learned about the Gramic and Nugent workshop at Seton Hill only after the fact, and had he been consulted, he would have strongly disapproved of the seminar. He said that he had expressed his views to the Sisters of Charity. Nevertheless, when the USCL asked Bishop Bosco to warn Catholics against attending the conference, Vicar General Father Roger Statnick, spokesman for the diocese, said the diocese would not attack the program because they did not want to draw attention to it. Statnick did say that the presenter's position is not the mainline position of the church, which we would like to be the primary message given there, but we are not going to make any judgment of the presenters in terms of their personal morality or orthodoxy. In a letter dated October 9, 1991, to the USCL, Bishop Bosco confirmed Father Statnick's statement. He said that drawing attention to the seminar would be counterproductive. As was the case with the Sisters of Mercy-sponsored workshop in Pittsburgh attendance, in Pittsburgh attendance at the Sitton Hill workshop was small, mostly Sisters of Charity nuns, a few priests and laymen, and two reporters, including this writer. The third presentation by Gramic and Nugent took place in Canfield, in Canfield, Ohio, in the Diocese of Youngstown, at the Education Center of the Ursuline Nuns. The event was picketed by the Youngstown Friends of Life chapter, much to the delight of some of the older Ursuline nuns. The demonstration was organized by Reverend William Witt, whose observations on the odd couple have already been noted. On October 7, 1991, a reporter from the Youngstown newspaper, the Vindicator, was told by Ursuline sister Isabel Rudge that despite opposition, the Nugent and Gramic workshop on homophobia would go on as scheduled on October 9. She said she was impressed by the workshop the Maryland group put on several years ago. The people who are doing the presenting are in good standing in the church and religious community, said Rudge. The vicar for pastoral life and worship for the Diocese of Youngstown, Reverend Bradford N. Hellman, said he had investigated the seminar and found it had good credentials and had received high recommendations from bishops of other dioceses. They are teaching Catholic morality regarding these several regarding these sexual issues that are going to be the topic of their workshop, Hellman said. Bishops James W. Malone, former president of the NCCB, was unavailable for comment. In a follow-up story on the homophobic workshop at the Ursuline Center, Leon Stennis, religion educator, religion editor of the Vindicator, identified Gramic and Nugent as being associated with the center 
for homophobia education in Hyattsville, Maryland. Sister Gramick explained to Stennis how she came to be involved in a homosexual ministry and this revised version of her encounter with Dominic Bash. The nun says she became concerned when she met a young man who was disgruntled with the church because he said it had no place for his brother who was a homosexual. The fourth and final workshop was scheduled to take place on October 15, 1991 at the Diocesan Family Life Center of the Altoona Johnstown Diocese. A week earlier, the Tribune Democrat in Johnstown ran the complete USCL press release opposing the Gramic and Nugent workshop. Diocesan officials were visibly upset about the controversy. A reporter for the newspaper said that Nugent had told him in a phone conversation that both he and Sister Gramic still retained their church credentials. When pressed for more information, Nugent would only say that his current parish was in northwest Pennsylvania. The reporter did some research on his own and found that both Nugent and Gramic had been ordered by the Vatican in the late 1980s to withdraw from new ways and that they were not permitted to work in gay lesbian ministry. The article triggered a long series of responses from the Diocese of Altoona, Johnstown, beginning with a letter to the USCL from Sister Marilyn Welch, director of the Family Life Office, who stated that the decision to permit the Homophobia in Religion and Society workshop was made after careful thought and discussion. Reviewing several references from other dioceses indicated to us that the presentations provided in other workshops were orthodox in regard to the teachings of the Catholic Church, she said. Sister Welch then quoted from To Live in Christ Jesus that homosexual persons, like everyone else, should not suffer from prejudice against their basic human rights. She said the diocese would not cancel the workshop, which we believe supports the basic teachings of the Catholic Church. On September 25, 1991, the Reverend Dennis R. Boggs, secretary to Bishop Joseph B. Adamick, confirmed Sister Welch's position in a letter to the USCL. Later, the USCL received a strange letter from Reverend Monsignor George B. Flynn, the chancellor for the Altoona Johnstown Diocese, dated October 7, 1991. Monsignor Flynn said that Bishop Adamek had read the USCL documentation against Sister Gramick and Father Nugent, and that he, Adamek, reconfirms his adherence to official, the official church teaching with regard to human sexuality. The Flynn letter was in turn followed by a lengthy correspondence from the very Reverend Stanley B. Carson, Vicar General of the Diocese, who expressed disapproval that the USCL had used the Tribune Democrat to protest the Gramic and Newton workshop since the newspaper had an anti-Catholic bias. Your decision to publicly disagree with the diocesan decision will probably be used as fuel to keep the fire of anti-Catholic bias alive and burning, he said. But Reverend, Reverend Carson said he had received letters of reference from poor bishops who have verified the orthodoxy of the presentations made during the workshops by Sister Janine Gramick and Father Robert Nugent. We have no information that would lead us to believe that the program Homophobia and Religion in Society violates the intention 
and Letter of Church Teaching. He said, according to Reverend Carson, the diocese did not publicize the workshop since it was intended for persons in leadership positions, not the general laity. The response from Vatican officials to the USCL protest against the latest in a series of Gramic and Nugent roadshows was pro forma. A letter dated September 30, 1991, was received by the USCL from the Washington Office of the Apostolic Pronuncio, signed by Agostino Cardinal Cacciavillon, who acknowledged the receipt who acknowledged receipt of the USCL documents against Gramic and Newton, and that they were duly noted. The second, a second letter dated November 8, 1991, was received from the Vatican Secretariat of State. It acknowledged the USCL complaint and said that the documents had been duly noted. It was signed by Monsignor C. Sepp, Assessor, Secretariat of State, First Section of General Affairs. Thus ended the battle between the U.S. Coalition for Life and Sister Gramic and Father Newton and the four Catholic dioceses in the fall of 1991. The Gramic and Nugent Roadshow rolled on. Homophobia is it catching? The 1992 New Year found Gramic and Nugent in Cajun country. On January 31, they gave a multidiocesan homophobia workshop in the Catholic Diocese of Huma Thibodeau. Dominican sister Paul Richard, the pastoral associate of St. Bernadette Subaru Church in Huma and diocesan superintendent of the Office of Religious Education, attended the Nugent and Gramic seminar. The nun later described not later described her transforming experience for readers of the diocesan paper, the Bayou, the Bayou Catholic. In her article, Homophobia is a Catching, Sister Richard said that most common folk suffer from some form of the dreadful disease, dreaded disease, homophobia. And what is the source of this contagion? Homophobia is usually based on ignorance, on succumbing to stereotypes, the result of some psychologically hidden factors within ourselves which have gone undetected for years, the nun wrote. The bias against homosexuality and homosexuals, she explained, is evident in such cliches as homosexuality is a sin because the Bible says so. Homosexuality is a sin because it's against the natural law of God, or homosexuality is a sin because it spreads AIDS. As the day progressed, said Sister Richard, I saw slowly developing before me what Sister Janine and Father Nugent were trying to, trying so desperately to tell us, and we were listening at last. They showed us in their simple, dedicated way that homophobia is an unwarranted fear of homosexuality in oneself or in others. And how do we detect homophobia, she asked. According to the workshop directors, it can show up in language and tone and the reasons and the rhetoric of opposition to gay and lesbian rights. In the myths we continue to accept and circulate about homosexual people, and some religious teachings on homosexuality, which reflect a fundamentalistic interpretation of Scripture, and it can show up in our silence and neglect of these people in our churches and society. 
Sister Richard said. As for the remedy for homophobia, Sister Richard offered two words, reaching out. New Ways held its third national symposium on lesbian gay people and Catholicism, the state of the question in Chicago on March 27 to 29, 1992. 500 people attended the event, including three members of the American hierarchy, Bishop William Hughes of Covington, Kentucky, Bishop Kenneth Untner of Saginaw, Michigan, and Bishop Thomas Gumbleton, now an auxiliary uh, to Archbishop Maida in Detroit. Of the 91 organizations represented at the conference, 76 were religious organizations of men and women, including the Conference for Catholic Lesbians that had been inspired by a lesbian workshop given by Sister Gramic a decade before. In the summer of 1992, with Nugent and Gramic working behind the political scenes, New Ways launched Project Civil Rights as a protest against the recently released Vatican document Some Considerations Concerning the Catholic Response to Legislative Proposals on the Non-Discrimination of Homosexual Persons. New Ways charged that the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith opposed civil rights for lesbians and gays in the area of teaching, athletic coaching, adaptive parenting, and military recruitment. New Ways prepared a position paper titled A Time to Speak, Catholics for Lesbian and Gay Civil Rights that appeared as a paid advertisement in the November 13, 1992, 1992 issue of the National Catholic Reporter. A Time to Speak claimed that homosexual, homosexuals make excellent coaches, that homosexuals love children, and that gays can serve effectively in the military. New Ways also circulated petitions to be presented to the American bishops at their annual Washington, D.C. meeting in November 1992. The petitions called for a special pastoral program for sodomites and asked that the topics of homosexuality and homophobia be added to the NCCB-USCC agenda for 1993. The always cooperative Archbishop Daniel Palachik president of the NCCB, instructed Bishop James Malone to receive the signed 13,160 petitions. The year 1993 passed quickly with Gramic and Newton continuing their writings and homophobia workshops. One of the workshops took place on May 13 at the Paulist-staffed Pope John XXIII Catholic Center at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. During her lecture, Gramic reiterated her claim that the sin of homophobia is worse than homogenital activity. The Gramic and Nugent Roadshow kept rolling on. And, and now a reading from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. The Church, the Body of Christ, too. The Church is communion with Jesus, 787. From the beginning, Jesus associated his disciples with his own life, revealed the mystery of the kingdom to them, and gave them a share in his mission, joy, and sufferings. Jesus spoke of a still more intimate communion between him and those who would follow him. Abide in me, and I in you. I am the vine, you are the branches. And he proclaimed a mysterious and real communion between his own body and ours. 
He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. 788. When his visible presence was taken from them, Jesus did not leave his disciples orphans. He promised to remain with them until the end of time. He sent them his spirit. As a result, communion with Jesus has become in a way more intense. By communicating his spirit, Christ mystically constitutes as his body those brothers of his who are called together from every nation. 789. The comparison of the church with the body casts light on the intimate bond between Christ and his church. Not only is she gathered around him, she is united in him, in his body. Three aspects of the church as the body of Christ are to be more specifically noted. The unity of all her members with each other as a result of their union with Christ. Christ as head of his of the body and the church as bride of Christ. One body, 790. Believers who respond to God's word and become members of Christ's body become intimately united with him. In that body, the life of Christ is communicated to those who believe and who, through the sacraments, are united in a hidden and real way to Christ in his passion and glorification. This is especially true of baptism, which unites us to Christ's death and resurrection, and the Eucharist, by which, really sharing in the body of the Lord, we are taken up into communion with him and with one another. 791. The body's unity does not do away with the diversity of its members. In the building up of Christ's body, there is engaged a diversity of members and functions. There is only one spirit who, according to his own richness and needs of the ministries, gives his different gifts for the welfare of the church. The unity of the mystical body produces and stimulates charity among the faithful. From this it follows that if one member suffers anything, all the members suffer with him. And if one member is honored, all the members together rejoice. Finally, the unity of the mystical body triumphs over all human divisions. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Christ is head of of this body. 792. Christ is the head of the body at the church. He is the principle of creation and redemption, raised to the Father's glory in everything he is preeminent, especially in the church through whom he extends his reign over all things. 793. Christ unites us with his Passover. All his members must strive to resemble him until Christ be formed in them. For this reason we are taken up into the mysteries of his life associated with his sufferings as a body with his head, suffering with him that with him we may be glorified. 794. Christ provides for our growth to make us grow toward him, our head. He provides us in, he provides in his body the church, the gifts and assistance which we, which we help one another along the way of salvation. 795, Christ and his church 
thus together make up the whole Christ, Christus totus. The church is one with Christ. The saints are acutely aware of this unity. Let us rejoice and then and give thanks that we have become not only Christians, but Christ himself. Do you understand and grasp, brethren, God's grace toward us? Marvel and rejoice. We have become Christ. For if he is the head, we are the members. He and we together are the whole man. The fullness of Christ then is the head and the members. But the what does head and members mean? Christ and the church. Our Redeemer has shown himself to be one person with the Holy Church whom he has taken to himself. Head and members form, as it were, one and the same mystical person. A reply of St. Joan of Arc to her judges sums up the faith of the holy doctors and the good sense of the believer. About Jesus Christ and the Church, I simply know that they're just one thing, and we shouldn't complicate the matter. The Church is the Bride of Christ, 796. The unity of Christ and the Church, head and members of our one body, also implies the distinction of the two within a personal relationship. This aspect is often expressed by the image of bridegroom and bride. The theme of Christ as the as bridegroom of the Church was prepared for by the prophets and announced by John the Baptist. The Lord referred to himself as the bridegroom. The apostle speaks of the whole Church and each of the faithful members of the body as a bride betrothed to Christ the Lord so as to become but one spirit with him. The Church is the spotless bride of the spotless Lamb. Christ loved the Church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her. He has joined her with himself in an everlasting covenant that never stops caring for her as his own body, as for his own body. This is the whole Christ, head and body, one formed from many. Whether the head or members speak, it is Christ who speaks. He speaks in his role as the head ex persona capitis and in his whole and in his role as body ex persona corporis. What does this mean? The two will become one flesh. This is a great mystery, and I am applying it to Christ in the church. And the Lord himself says in the gospel, so they are no longer two but one flesh. They are, in fact, two different persons, yet they are one in the conjugal union. As head, he calls himself the bridegroom. As body, he calls himself bride. And so I'll end my podcast here. There are no more readings from the catechism or the right of homosexual or the right of sodomy. And so I end my podcast here. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May God bless this podcast, and may the Holy Spirit use it to touch people's hearts. In the name of the Father, and the Son, 
aan de Holy Spirit. Amen.